Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is episode 187 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank, welcoming you in to another edition of the podcast. Our CEO, Mike Niemer, did a lot of the heavy lifting on this one, so we're going to get to Mike and his guest in just a minute. But before we hear from Mike, we always like to check in with eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. Ann has a few words for us. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company private equity, or privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Welcome to The Green Insider podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am Mike Niemer, and today I have a very special guest on. And most of you guys are a high percentage of our listeners will probably know him, Nico Johnson. Nico is the founder of Suncast Media and host and creator of Suncast Podcast. So, Nico, welcome to the show. Mike, the pleasure is mine, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Nico uh, to date has had 600 podcast. Now, that's a special number. Not a lot of people get to that number, so you should be proud of that. It's a lot of practice. <laughs> a lot of practice, but 750,000 listens mm-hmm. uh, throughout his lifetime. And and what has that been? Seven, eight years? How long has it taken to get to yeah, that? Yeah, a little over seven years, yeah. Well, yeah. congratulations. That is definitely a number to be proud of. Thanks, uh, all of us that have uh, started not as long as it was you, we're all hoping for the same numbers before it's all over. So we just keep trying. Yeah, thank you, my friend. It's... Um, you know, I, I, I say to anyone who asks, you know, what are the keys to successful podcasting showing up, uh, which I say in every episode, thanks for showing up. It's half the battle and being consistent and consistency is the key. And what I've accomplished or done in podcasting is, is possible by anyone. You just have to show up and be consistent. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's possible by anyone. If- you're talking to somebody. I'm a 40-year oil and gas uh, executive, and here, right before the pandemic, I decided to move into the renewable space. Mm-hmm. And we see there's some more need for education. I, somebody tells me go start a podcast. <laughs> I didn't listen to a podcast at that point, but I was a public relations major back in my day, there almost 50 years ago in college, and so I uh, uh, figured it out real fast. And you're right, consistency. And always knowing the direction you want the show to go and be consistent so the listeners know what to expect. And mm-hmm. they know on our show, we're going to talk renewable, sustainable, ESG, you know, going green. That's why we're the Green Insider. And uh, and what, I'm really pleased to have you on the show. So thank you, Nico, for joining us today. I appreciate it, my friend. I uh, also, I'll also note that I am uh, an occasional listener of the Green Insider. As a podcast junkie, I do... Uh, I do peruse all of my peers' um, podcasts as they come out, and uh, I think I mentioned to you, um, you probably don't expect that other podcasters would become in any way envious, but 
when you were podcasting live from the verge last year, it was one of those moments where I was like, man, that, that Mike Niemer, man, he beat me to it. He got to the verge. It was, it was great content. You interviewed a good friend of mine, uh, Craig Merrigan from spotlight solar. Yeah. You right. do some good, you did great work, man. And I think that, um, your understanding of the industry, uh, is apparent and the, even as you suggested, your training in uh, in the industry of media and journalism and PR is apparent, and um, I appreciate that. I I try to learn from everyone uh, that I can, and I feel like that's ultimately why we do podcasts, right? Is our um, our desire for infinite learning, and the easiest way in today's economy to satisfy that is through this medium called a podcast, because we can open so many more doors. People are so much more willing to talk about just about everything when they're given the excuse that you're going to publish it for people to listen to. Well, you're exactly right. I'll tell you what, thank you so much for that verge comment. That was, that's quite a, a flattering comment coming for you. I do have listened to your shows from time to time because uh, on occasion we've had the same guest on oh, yeah. many months apart or whatever. So I'd like, well, what direction did he take that guest? And so we all go a little different direction, but uh, yeah. um, I learned from each of those that I uh, listened to from you too, because you have a different style than I have, and uh, mm -hmm. they all complement each other. So uh, thank you for the comment. You're welcome. Well, Nico, uh, I asked you today to join us. I know you've had some uh, guests on and been in position to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, I've mm -hmm. yet to have a guest on to talk about that. And I thought, why not bring on Nico? He just crossed in the 600 episode, kind of a milestone moment. I don't mind partaking in a little bit of that a little here, uh, just to be part of that gang around that number 600 and yeah, man. just to pick up on the IRA and uh, tell people what you've learned so far through your other guests and other conferences you've been through. Yeah. I don't consider myself to be an expert on the topic. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not actively developing solar projects, but I do interact with a lot of folks that are trying to answer questions around domestic content and uh, around incentives. And, you know, it's remarkable when you stack the incentives from the IRA, you can get as much as 70% of a renewable energy project um, paid for sensibly under certain tax provisions. So I have, I've said on a, on a few other occasions that this is pretty well categorically the most significant climate legislation in history. And that's not uh, hyperbolic. It's also not related just to the United States. I think that globally, the Inflation Reduction Act is the most significant climate uh, legislation in history. This, well, there's no yeah. doubt about that. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, we've uh, needed this to get to where we need to go. Yeah. People don't want people to greenwash. We've got to have a reason to be able that's to right. afford to get there. And this helps. Mm -hmm. That's right. And a lot of folks, um, you know, they, I feel, I feel like this big of a piece of legislation as landmark as it is, puts a big bullseye on the back of the current administration, uh, for those who would want to lambast government spending, but it's pretty easy to uncover and document the amount of government spending that has gone into building all of the infrastructure that we appreciate, the highways, the hospitals, and yes, the fuel stations and the service infrastructure that delivers petrochemical products and their derivatives like gasoline and our clothes. 
to our doorstep or to our neighborhood uh, in many cases, right to our home through natural gas pipelines. Those natural gas pipelines were subsidized incredibly uh, and deeply and for many uh, decades so that we could enjoy the benefits of comfort in our homes through heat and electricity and the the wires that extend around our neighborhoods um, in, in what has been the, one of the most, um, been widely accepted as one of the greatest contributions to mankind, certainly in the 20th century, the, the greatest innovation, the grid that was made possible by electricity. And we didn't get that electricity from the sun directly. We got it indirectly through fossil fuels. But with the Inflation Reduction Act, as it relates to power, uh, helps to accomplish is what is now commonly referred to as the energy transition. And it's a transition for a reason because over the last decade, solar power and wind power have proven that they are capable of generating electricity at below what's known as grid parity, the cost to generate electricity through other forms of electricity, namely and notably coal and other fossil fuels. So the level playing field, as it were, now that renewables gets to play on, allows us to now build infrastructure around the renewables uh, landscape that will be meaningful for technologies that are still a little high on the cost curve, like battery storage and hydrogen technology that will continue to drive our ability to innovate around harvesting clean electrons through natural resources like the wind and the sun and hydro and geothermal power and convert those electrons into the, the comforts that we appreciate and in many cases have come to need and rely on uh, to, to light our homes and uh, empower our industrial processes. I wanted to point out that um, the International Energy Agency uh, has a report every year and the 2022 renewables report uh, forecast that the power capacity is going to grow by going to grow by 2.4 gigawatts in the next five years, and that the solar PV capacity alone is going to nearly triple to almost that same amount to 2.35 gigawatts by 2027. By next year, it will surpass hydropower in generation capacity. By 2026, PV electricity, solar PV, will surpass natural gas. And yes, by 2027, in the next four years, it will surpass coal to become the largest installed electricity capacity worldwide. Now, we could think about why that is or how that is, but if you, you know, and in the United States, just as an interesting point of fact, there was an article this past week that said that China had installed 100 gigawatts, I think in the last quarter, but certainly in the last year, 100 gigawatts of solar. We haven't installed 100 gigawatts in our entire history in the United States, right? Like we're still, right. yeah. uh, we're, we're still aiming towards that, and China did it in a year. So it's easy to see that if we don't enact some sort of government-led legislation, we are going to be left behind. Many would say we are already, in many ways, left behind in technological innovation because we outsourced our innovation. We took all of our national, national, nation-grown innovation, our creation of the solar cell in Bell Labs in 1955 and our creation of the wind power that you know companies like Vestas have uh, have dominated as an industry Gamesa out of Spain have dominated as an industry we we exported that know-how to Europe and then into China over the last fifth of the last five decades 
in an effort to reduce the labor cost so that we can scale up the technology. Now that we can reshore that technology, we have to make sure that we take care of that opportunity. And that's the third piece of the IRA that a lot of folks uh, overlook. Mike, you and I have seen that if this industry has had a very difficult time maintaining things like solar panel um, manufacturing domestically. It's not something that we have never done. You know, Sharp, um, BP, when I started in the industry, Sharp, BP, Solar World, um, Shot, the company that by and large makes ceramics and glass, they all had manufacturing facilities right here in the United States. And they've, and they've, been, and they've disappeared, right? Not to, not to mention the countless uh, startups that failed like Twin Creeks and, and others. So the Inflation Reduction Act for the solar industry and for the broader, broader renewables industry is a tailwind that is going to give us another 10 years just al- alone of the, infl- of, the, uh, of the tax credit, you know, 30% tax credit for solar installations. And we're seeing year over year monstrous growth in the industry, right? So we've got the 10 year extension of the 30% um, on the installed cost of equipment, um, which is gonna fall over time once we get to 2033, it's essentially gonna start to scale down the way that it was expected to start scaling down this year. So it pushed it out by 10 years. Well, you know, when people not familiar with history hear about this spending coming out of the government for this Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act. They think it's something new that mm. why, why are they given all this renewables or right. green energy? Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they've been giving it to industries for years and years right. and years. And that's how all infrastructure becomes developed. You know, um, right. when you uh, solar is not something that just all of a sudden happened. I remember I grew up outside of Wichita, Kansas. Mm. And I remember in the 80s, somebody, first guy came in and trying to sell solar panels to go on houses in the 1980s. This yeah. has not been fast, okay? Yeah. It's been a while. But yeah. if we look in history, there's infrastructure that's subsidized by the government is how we got where our country got to where it is today. And that's the only way we're going to move forward to keep up with the other economies around the world. Yeah. You know, it's also the one of the few industries that is saving blue-collar jobs. We need more than a million electricians. And these are not poor-paying jobs, Mike. This is something that I feel like a lot of people overlook. There's a provision in the IRA specifically for apprenticeships, right? Apprenticeship is something that in the last century was extremely common. And because of the way our education system has evolved, Apprenticeships are in many ways, and even, you know, uh, blue collar jobs, working in carpentry or electricity as an electrician um, or painting or roofing, they in many ways are looked down upon as things that you do if you, could, if you don't go get an education. Um, but, the, uh, but the inverse is true. It requires an incredible amount of study, dedication, and education to be a journeyman or a master electrician. And we need more than a million of them to power the clean energy transition. So the IRA offers increased credit amounts to developers who pay a prevailing wage and use a certain percentage of registered apprentices on their projects. This is a categorical shift in the government's approach to helping owners of these assets, what do we call IPPs, independent power producers, uh, prioritize how much they pay the people that do the work so that we can, ha- we can bring that brain trust 
back stateside. I don't know how many people in America realize this, but I was involved in the Latin America solar boom back from 2010 to roughly 2018, 19. And there were plane loads because there was no regulation or, uh, or incentive plane loads of Bulgarians and other Eastern Europeans who were flown into Chile, the hottest market in the Latin America sector to live in the Atacama for four months to build a solar project. Is that what we want as a logical conclusion to the infrastructure build out in the United States that we fly people in that are cheaper labor? Or do we want to incentivize that this industry can finally, which is going to grow for the next 10 plus years, can finally sustain homegrown talent and homegrown domestic content? You know, I'm so glad that uh, I'll just speak for the junior colleges in Texas since I live in Texas, but I'm assuming this going all around the United States, the junior colleges have these botexual classes that are affordable and can teach kids or young men or women uh, how to become that apprentice. The class that they need to be able to work on that wind farm, to work on that solar farm or whatever. And I think this is very important that our infrastructure within the education system allows for that education to take place, Mm -hmm. even for those type jobs. And, it's been quite successful here, and I'm hoping that other parts of the country are having the same success we are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting just for those who are trying to think about the numbers, the actual minimum requirements to get um, IRA dollars for those developers who might be listening, it steps up over time. So as of January 1st of this year, um, you're required to have at least 10% of the labor performed by qualified apprentices. It's going to step up to, um, or excuse me, 12.5%. It was 10% last year. Um, it's going to happen. And then January 1st of this coming year. So in about, um, you know, six months or so from now, it bumps up to 15%, um, for construction that begins as of, or after December 31st, 2023. Um, you know, the main question that we all have is where are these people going to come from and how are we going to train them? And, uh, the, the junior colleges, the technical colleges around the country are tapping into the collective realization that, this funding now exists to help train these folks. And we are also seeing organizations that are retraining coal miners. They are prioritizing putting renewable energy assets in uh, communities where previously they were, um, they were predominantly um, fed by fossil fuel industries like coal. Um, so these incentives are as much focused on growth as they are on equity as they are on growth. And by equity, I mean that we actually treat fairly the communities that are being that are naturally being marginalized by the energy transition. And that being the fossil fuels communities where their livelihoods and indeed their towns relied on in many places in the Appalachia, for example, West Virginia, Ohio, uh, even in my home state of North Carolina, where um, the, 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 for generations, they were coal miners or they were, uh, in in Pennsylvania, natural gas workers in the, in the shales, uh, sort of the tar sands of Lower Canada and the the Dakotas, um, we had to figure out a way to help those communities. And the IRA actually has um, has clauses, has has specific incentives and money of funding carved out to ensure retraining, not just training those those that are coming up and that are looking for jobs, but to retrain those who had pre- previously dedicated their career their intelligence, their strength to uh, other forms of energy harvest. 
You know, you brought up uh, your neck of the woods in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard a story. I asked a question to somebody once about seems to be a lot of developers in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. We got it. Why we would got that in be? The water here. And they said, well, North Carolina is one of the first states that had subsidies for the developers to come in. And that's how it started building that network and business within the state of North Carolina. Is that correct? True or false? Yeah. So I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit for you. It is correct. True. You know, I missed the wave. I was working as a solar salesperson 2008, 9, 10, 11, uh, before I went to Trina Solar in 2011. And I had an opportunity to come work for Argan Solar, which ended up becoming um, one of the more successful Carolinas-based companies, uh, O3 Solar, Carolina Solar, a bunch of these folks, Strata, met all these guys, kind of went through the machinations of like, oh boy, I'm in California. Should I move home? Is the, are the Carolinas ever going to be able to afford to put solar in when their avoided cost of power is five cents? Their retail rates are seven, eight cents a kilowatt hour. But North Carolina did something really interesting uh, because of uh, PURPA, the Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act of 1978. Um, there was still an, uh, an offer called Qualified facility and Duke operated under purple regulation and um, some very smart developers here in North Carolina lobbied for solar to be considered as a purple uh, qualified facility and effectively what that did. And I think you know, Marcus Willem may, may be one of those who deserves uh, great credit for this. It allowed developers to know without a shadow of a doubt, if I build a five megawatt facility, that become that register that qualifies as a qualified facility. Duke um, <clears throat> and Dominion in certain parts of North Carolina will have to buy that power, like under the purple rules, <laughs> they'll have to buy that power. Um, and as a result, North Carolina became behind California the second largest solar market. Um, I'm going to guess here. I think it was like in 2012, 13 timeframe, um, up in the mid teens. Stayed in the top five for quite some time and continues to this day to uh because as a result to be the home the the you know the the headquarters for major entities in this industry like strata clean energy like cypress uh like uh pine gate um there are so many companies that came out of that era of the early teens where they figured out how to make a solar project look like a regular power generation project from an economics perspective and a regulatory perspective. And as you and I know, Mike, even for fossil fuel, regulatory issues are what drive the industry. And it really takes creativity. It takes a lot of hard work and elbow grease, and it takes a lot of lobbying to figure out how to get these new generation assets to look, feel, act, and be considered as though they are stable energy generating assets that are going to have a credible, um, not intermittent um, return on the investment made. And there's a lot of shade that's thrown on solar as a category. But these early pioneers in um, in North Carolina helped to figure that that piece out. And they created a very bankable market in the state. And uh, a lot of folks, I mean, it's populated across the United States now. There's so many really uh, talented, highly credible developers who at one point worked for or were in some way involved in the, um, the development of the solar market in North Carolina. 
The same is true for New Jersey. The same is true for California. But North Carolina had its own flavor, and that's because it was tied to the qualified facilities and how PURPA works. Yeah, and there you had a, uh, an entire industry formed that uh, helps the economy in that state and every other state that has picked up on it ever since, right? That's right. And billions so, of dollars spent. Yeah. Yeah, billions of A lot of tax revenue brought in. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the other, yeah. You know, the other thing that North Carolina did that I forgot to mention was they were one of the first to give a state – tax credit. And uh, I would be remiss to forget that because it's now expired. But a state tax credit created a really interesting scenario where you had a lot of folks that became specialists in how for renewable projects, tax equity works. And we could do a whole clinic on a whole longer conversation on tax equity. It's it's one of the underlying um, core principles that have made solar as a category bankable. And uh, North Carolina contributed to that in, in tremendous ways. Specifically because in uh, in the same way that Massachusetts, I believe, did uh, or Connecticut, one of those two, they had a state tax credit. And that state tax credit created a local, not a national uh, tax opportunity where there just there was a bunch of appetite that had to figure out how to get local North Carolinians comfortable with in this Republican state, comfortable with this asset and had to find off takers like Apple and uh, and Facebook and, and many, many others. Who were comfortable with um, with the with this new structure here in this state? Sorry, I just wanted to make sure I added that on because the state policy is as important as um, you know some of the other uh, uh, clever ways that they leveraged um, federal regulatory policies. Well, speaking of clever ways, uh, a little bit ago when you were talking, you did. Was that a pun intended when you said shade on solar? A hundred percent pun intended. <laughs> yeah. I, love so I was hoping the listeners caught that. I'm a father after all. Remember, I'm a dad, so I gotta I gotta throw puns around. Yeah, so that was that was that was that was nice. So anyhow, <laughs> uh, well, Nico, uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Uh, any other highlights from the uh, IRA you think we should uh, throw out there to the listeners on the surface here, so they can get kind of an additional idea? Yeah, you know, I think that the the just as a thirty second quip. The unsung winner of the IRA is not solar, not manufacturing, not even jobs. It's hydrogen. And what we have, we have only begun to see the tip of the surface of the iceberg that is hydrogen and how it's going to impact the clean energy economy. So I'd encourage listeners to think about how hydrogen can play a role in their development and where hydrogen is going to be incentivized. But in the IRA, hydrogen is one of the big, 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 big winners in terms of how much you get per kilogram and where and how it gets deployed. It's not complicated, but it's also not easy. And there are some people who are becoming very, very specialized in this topic. But um, I really, uh, I was bullish before the IRA came out. We did a whole series in uh, on Suncast on how green hydrogen works as a category, why it exists. Um, I'm very, 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 very confident that hydrogen is going to be a very interesting segment. And it also is one that we're going to see a lot of folks from the oil and gas industry seg- uh, segue over to because we're talking about molecules, not electrons, right? That's exactly right. And uh, for our regular listeners, you know, we've done five or six shows on hydrogen ourselves with uh, Mitsubishi and Eight Rivers, so on and so forth. So anybody that wants to catch up on those that haven't listened in the past, just go to the website, got a search bar in there, just type up hydrogen, you'll see what pops up. But 
Hydrogen is very interesting. I'd like to always tease the guests because they start naming all the colors. And I say, what Crayola are you pulling out of the Crayola box today? You know, because there are so many colors on it their does. labels that they have. But it that's does. a whole other show in itself. But uh, Green. Green is my favorite color of hydrogen. So, <laughs> Well, there you go. And that's the one most people understand the most also. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, uh, that it, you brought up a very good point about the hydrogen within the IRA Act. It did make a big difference. <laughs> should make a real big difference for that industry. And then again, more different, bigger expanding industry, yeah. more tax money, more power, more jobs, just more success for the United States in the world of energy. So yeah. Nico Johnson from Suncast, thank you so much for joining us today on the Green Insider. Well, Mike, I want to say thank you as well. And I want to remind your listeners who, uh, as you, as you point out, are by and large figuring out how, how, to integrate green into their business models. A lot of folks see what I do with Suncast and what we do in the solar and broader clean energy uh, sort of context as um, not complementary or in some way as divisive or an us versus them. And I want to say to your listeners that, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about you and, and folks like you who have come from the oil and gas industry is that we have one thing we agree on. There's no us versus them. We're in this together. We are in this together, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I see it every day here in Houston. You know, yeah. you know, we go to it. I go to any renewable or green event, mm-hmm. and there's somebody else besides me that crossed over. It's actually quite a few people, you That's know. Right. And, right. and the thing that actually is most impressive that I'm going to end up on with this is if I was to go to an oil and gas conference, the percentage of females attendings still around the same five or six percent it was thirty years ago. Yeah, but you go to the conference for renewables and sustainables, mm-hmm. and now you're talking twenty twenty five percent females right. attendance. Yeah. and the as a gentleman that's married has a daughter mm-hmm. has two granddaughters, I'm very pleased to see that for the future moving forward. It's done a real good job bringing the female sector into this executive workspace. Yeah, man. I'm really glad you point that out. It's something that's extremely important. Um, a focus on improving the level of diversity and the job opportunity and the equity uh, that is available is really important in our sector. And I say that as someone who's been in the sector for 18 years, really focused on helping figure out how to incentivize, deploy, invest in um, the, the, the clean energy economy. There is, um, you know, it. when I entered the industry in 2008, Mike, it looked, or 2006, it looked very much like traditional fossil fuel and traditional energy sector in, in, the, in the solar sector. It was very, very few women, very few people of color. And uh, I'm really, uh, it's really encouraging to see the, how our industry has embraced and will continue. And I think that in the, in the fossil fuel industry as well, it is being embraced. But in our sector, particularly clean energy, we do see a very high focus on diversity and equity. And I think that it has made a huge difference in the way this industry feels very family oriented, feels very forward thinking. And, um, and, and there are, I could go on and on, Mike, there's studies about the um, effectiveness of women CEOs for fortune 500 companies and the return to shareholders therein. Um, it's so wonderful to hear you point that out. And uh, I want to thank you for having me on the show, man. I'm really, I'm a fan 
and I'm very encouraged by the work that I see you and others doing to spread the message. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Nico Johnson, uh, now a friend of the Green Insider and always welcome back. Nico, thanks again, my man. Pleasure is mine, sir. Thank you. That'll wrap things up for episode 187 of the Green Insider, powered by E-Renewable. My name is Greg Frank. Make sure to leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast from, because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day, and we were responsible for today's lesson. We're recording another one this week. You can hear it next week. So we'll talk to you then. Until then, everyone enjoy the rest of your weeks. And again, this has been the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable.